Hey, this is Reza. This is Sandy. Welcome to the Stone Cold Sober Podcast. Thanks for stopping by. Welcome to the 283rd episode of the Stone Cold Sober Podcast. Sandy, we're going to talk about something serious today, aren't we? Uh, I believe we are. Yeah, so I don't know if it's how obvious it is, but we typically try to lean away from even really touchy subjects because, um, one, we feel like we're not really experts on, on, some, on some topics. Um, and two, we just kind of want to just stay focused on what's happening in our lives but I feel like this has really bled heavily into what's happening to our lives, and it's difficult to not discuss it any, you know, discuss it here, especially considering it's just about all we've been talking about over the last week over Slack, the uh, mm-hmm. the protests that have been happening across the, across the United States over the last about week and a half or two weeks now. Yep. And kind of wanted to just talk about the the protests, uh, race relations in America. It feels like it's something that everyone's talking about, and I definitely want to talk about it because I have experiences in my past that I'd like to to bring up, not necessarily with regards to police, but with just regards yeah. to people in everyday life and and what it's like, what it what it what it what it has been like to be a pretty a, a fairly privileged uh, black person in America. But I uh-huh. also know that you have experience too, just being a minority in this country as well, and so I just kind of want to. Yeah. 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 So before we do that, um, maybe we set the we'll set the tone a little bit. Uh, you 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 uh, you started out the conversation by saying we usually lean away from heavier subjects. That's something we had done probably in the first few episodes of this podcast. Uh, longtime listeners out there will know that we sort of fumbled our way through a couple of things that were on the heavier variety way back when. Uh, we sort of felt like it was easier to talk about things that were happening in our lives. Um, but like you said, this has not only been the dominant topic of conversation at, over almost any channel. I mean, it's hard to push COVID to the to the B section of yeah, uh, right. of any website at this time. But and I think what we're uh, very thankful and grateful for is uh, to be able to hear, in a sense, your story, your stories, your your experiences, and. And so the caveats I want to make, and I'll speak for myself, so you can let me know if you have different caveats or whatnot, but we're not here, you and I, to, to virtue signal in any way. Uh, we're not here to tell you what to do. Uh, we're not to, here to tell you, like, uh, how you should do what you think you might, you know, like, we, we can offer our own personal analyses and our the way that we've thought about it, but we're not here to to really tell you there's only one way i think there's many ways and there's many ways to be an ally in a situation like this um in addition uh i i want to make sure that at least you hear from me reza that i'm not here to treat you as like the token black friend you know where you speak for everyone uh i i feel like that's important to call out as well right Uh, right. just to be a little bit more we're, we're having more nuanced conversations in 2020 hopefully uh you know, it's been six years since uh, Black Lives Matter was founded, and you know the the normalization, the thankful normalization of that idea, I, I think, also comes with the responsibility to not speak in platitudes. Um, just to understand that, you know, while it affects uh, the black community as a whole, it, it certainly doesn't mean that your experiences uh, reflect everyone's and others reflect yours. Yeah. So I just I felt like that was important to call out. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, yeah. So this is coming just in the aftermath of of the uh, well, like I guess it first started with like the Amy Cooper video, right? I remember talking about that when it, the day that it happened, and we potentially, were, potentially, yeah, because like you, could, you they, could go back to Ahmaud Arbery. Yeah. Right. Well. Yeah. Of course. So I just I guess I just think I'm I'm thinking back to the the news stories around Amy Cooper and her firing mm, yeah and and then that just leading directly into the George George Floyd video I don't remember exactly how far apart those two videos were but I know it was just a matter of a couple of days and so yeah, no more than 48 hours it feels like the because the Amy Cooper was kind of national news or at least as far as I'm aware it was like everywhere that I was looking so 
it yeah. felt like this is something that people were really discussing. Of course, not to the degree that we were dis- that we've been discussing and focusing on George Floyd, but it just seemed to really spark up that again the race relations de- uh, debate, the race relations conversation, and all of a sudden, just a couple, you know, a day or two later, the George Floyd video comes out. And I was just thinking about it earlier today. I was driving with Lena and uh, and Gordon. We were doing another social distance visit with my parents, and trying to remember oh we were we were listening to larry wilmore his podcast black on the air and he he did like a 12 minute update just kind of discussing his thoughts on the matter and you know saying this is hardly the first time a video like this has come out Uh, it's hardly the first time not not even just a video like this but it's hardly the first time where there have been protests and people upset about um the treatment of of black people by by the police in america and like I can't remember the I can't remember the kid's name, but the the little boy in the park who was playing with a toy gun who got killed by the police yep. officer who like rolled up and like jumped out of the car and was shooting and shot the kid, like yep. that was that was tough to watch. And we keep seeing these we keep seeing these videos, we keep hearing these stories, and it constantly comes to like almost victim blaming is 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 the sense that that I've gotten um, across a lot of these stories where where these people aren't being punished for the actions and, and and even like if even if they are punished oftentimes it feels like the punishment isn't severe enough where it's like oh they're fired like that's it that's the end of the story um you know so the the george floyd video i was thinking earlier i think i watched all like the entirety of it you know normally we see a video like oh 10 10 15 minutes long and not much action or not much is happening throughout, like not, not much is changing throughout. People will jump around or skip through the video just to kind of get an idea of what's happening. But this was just so shocking to see. It was just, you know, just sit there and just stare at it and just watch. And it felt it felt invasive just watching this man die. Like I'm watching I'm watching a human a human being die and how casual the police officers were about it. They didn't seem to be concerned with either a that that he was you know seriously being being uh, like like that 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 he was actually being killed. I think they just thought he was overreacting. I guess, mm-hmm. but but really too, despite whatever it was that they thought was happening to him, they didn't seem to be concerned at all with if what they were doing was okay, and if. And, and what the repercussion what what the repercussions could be for their actions you know there there are all these people that are around that are recording this that are recording this this uh this uh situation happen and they're freaking out everyone is yelling telling them to get off that he's dying he keep you know he's he's saying he can't breathe he's crying for his mom and Nobody like the the police officers just weren't even phased by it. It's it's absolutely right. shocking and, well, yeah, I, I yeah, it's it's shocking. <laughs> I mean, like you know, no matter no matter how many times you hear about race like how how blacks are treated by police in America, it's still shocking to see this degree of just just casualness with right. it. It's not just oh, we thought he had a gun, so we shot it. Would like you know when when it comes to guns. And, and taking someone's life, it's a split decision reaction. And oftentimes, because of the line of work that police are in, it's difficult to make these judgment calls because of at least the, the tools that are available, the tools being weapon, you know, guns in this country, how easy it is to get. You oftentimes, as a police officer, I think, don't know what somebody's capable of and what they're willing to do. So when it comes to a shooting and taking someone's life with that, with that regard, because it's a split decision reaction, it's a bit more understandable, but this was nine minutes of a knee in a man's neck. Yeah, it seemed. I I don't think it was deliberate that he's taking his life, but it was highly careless and very irresponsible. And the and I think what people the 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 frustration, especially since the Ahmad uh, Barbary shooting, is that happened in February, right? Was it February or was it March? And I think it was February. And nothing happened with these people. They weren't arrested until the video became public. And it was released by, the, was it their defense attorneys that released the video? Yeah. So, like, it was just, <laughs> like. Well, let's, let's, before we. Yeah, I know, jump it like, all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, so I want to, I want to definitely react to what you said um, with regards to just the, the length of 
the George Floyd video. And I think what is shocking and disturbing is sort of what you said, this what's what I would call like a deliberate callousness uh, to, to a man pleading for his life. Um, but in addition to that, knowing that uh, there there is a lot of other things that are happening uh, that are fueling uh, the motivations and behaviors of all the actors uh, in this story, uh, I think it's important to call out. Um, but we can do that in a second. And I think there's some of these things I want to talk about are like the uh, more of the more of the uh, the underlying motivations of things, whether conscious or unconscious, I think will be important for us to talk about. Uh, I think that, you know, we've all seen the video. We've all seen many of these videos. It's, it's unfortunate that we've had to see so many videos. And it's... The, the one of the hot takes that I've seen recently was you could almost thank COVID for clearing everyone's social calendar. Yeah. So that when this happened, there was literally nothing else to focus your attention on because it wasn't like COVID happened a week ago. We're like, Oh my God, we got to figure out what to do with this pandemic. People are at a point now where they are over the pandemic. That's the privilege that a lot of us have, which is like, I am done staying at home. I do not want to just not, I don't want to be able to, I don't want to have to like be uh, forced to stay away from those that I want to hang out with. I'm, I'm done with all that. So we're at that point in COVID. Fortunately, unfortunately, that's a separate conversation. So when this happens, people are fed up. People are fed up with the fact that COVID has disproportionately ravaged communities of color and all that stuff. And, and so it did feel like a, a very weird mixing of like the perfect storm or something like this could galvanize so many so many people, but also so many types of people where, uh, where I don't think we've seen that sort of broad coalition, uh, before. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I, I, you're very right. COVID is, I would say to quote, thank for not just people clearing people's social calendars, but just clearing of their entire calendars. People, a lot of people are out of work. You know, we, we, when we, I remember when you, you you would turn the news on, I don't know how many, when we were in, probably in college and you'd see a lot of like Tea Party protests in Washington, D.C. And it's like, I didn't really realize it until the uh, rally the rally for sanity, I think, by uh, John Stewart and Stephen Colbert that they organized. And they were mm-hmm. talking about how difficult it is for people with jobs to go out there and protest. Like it's it's got to be hard to get, you know, several thousand people, let alone maybe a million people to come together for a single cause in the middle of, of, of the work day on some random Tuesday and with so many people out of work, I think it's, it's, it's resulted in, in, uh, it, it's given people the means to do that, to get out there and, and, um, and express their anger, their frustrations. It's it, again, like it's hardly the first story where this has happened. You know, it's not the 10th, it's not the hundredth story where this type of thing has happened, but it seems like it's the perfect storm for allowing people to get out there and, and, across so many different cities you know like when you think about the um gosh uh the rodney, rodney f- yeah the rodney king video like that would that right. would the, the riots that that were happening the protests and riots you know uh afterwards the riots that were happening were pretty much localized in la but there mm. i mean not it was nothing like this Nothing right. like I, this. I, I, the important thing to These remember: these are hundreds is, of cities here. Right, Rodney King. Uh, there was like almost uh, two types of protests with Rodney King. One, because the city was already on edge due to interracial violence, uh, not only violence against uh, the black community, but also violence from the Asian community perpetrated towards the black community. Um, people tend to forget that what happened right before Rodney King that started off a lot of the riots was in, was a Korean store owner uh, shot a black teenager who was shoplifting. And that started everything off. And the riots that we remember about Rodney King were after the cops who beat him were acquitted. Right. So 
but you're right though the the uh, the tidal wave of support for not only George Floyd and his family but also you know Breonna Taylor um, all of the and their sort of united stance against police brutality it's also nice to see that it's around the world um, that it's not just in the United States but that we're seeing uh, I think I read at some point over like 430 cities, towns, villages were protesting this past week. Yeah, it's been a lot of people, a lot or a lot so of places. Yeah, yeah, they're saying it's the largest civil rights movement yeah. the world has ever seen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. it's 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 this whole thing is just it's made me think about what it feels like to be black in America. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of posts on social media. There's so much going on in social media. People talking about, you know, staying silent, you know, staying silent is just a form of 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 just continue continuing, you know, the complacency just, you know, I guess with specifically with regards to white people, not not at, not speaking up. Yeah. Silence further, is complicit. Yeah, you're you're further you're you're continuing to perpetuate the the uh, I guess the, the continuing of, of of minorities living as second class citizens in this country. And so I was thinking about what it means to what it's what it's been like to be a minor a minority in this country. It's something that I don't I don't reflect on a ton. I think about it from time to time. Um, but uh, but but spe- specifically because I feel like I've had a privily a pretty privileged life in terms of how my parents raised me, how they protected me from things in my life, mm-hmm. and. You know, I, I don't think I've been profiled by police in, 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 in any significant manner through my life. Um, of course, when I see police in my vicinity, if I'm in my car, if I'm on the street or something, I get a little on edge. But I, 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 I could hardly speak to any other race and say if other people don't feel that way. I think I feel like it's a person of authority in in your vicinity and you're sitting there trying to think like, wait, did I do anything wrong? Am I am I on the right here? Am I am I OK? Am I, you know, especially if you're driving, it's like, oh, am I speeding? Am I being reckless when I'm driving? Is my phone down? You know, things like that. So when I, what I think of what I was thinking about a lot the other day, um, two nights ago, I was, I was laying in bed with Lena and we were talking about just like our past, our history. And I was telling her about when I moved to uh, the Chatsford area in uh, seventh grade. So I moved, I moved to Chatsford in 2001 October of 2001 so this is less than a month I think we'll just say effectively a month after the 9-11 attacks now at the time uh the high school that we the 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 middle school was Charles F. Patton middle school but it's Unionville Unionville high school school district at the time I was one of under 10 black kids and I think the entire like middle and high school so between sixth and twelfth grade I think there were fewer than 10 black kids in, mm-hmm. the, in that entire group of kids, in that entire um, class, group of classes. Um, but at the time, it wasn't even being black that was so much as of an issue as it was uh, that I was a Muslim. Because at this point, people are start, people are freaking out. It's like, oh, Muslims are here to kill us. And I don't know how the information got well, out I think there. It's important. I don't know if you said this earlier, but what was the year? No, this is, yeah, this is 2001. This is, this is one right. month after 9-11. So right. it was, it was fresh. This is this is very fresh on people's minds. Well, people people yeah, are people scared. don't even understand how to comprehend what's yeah, going on right yeah, now. Yeah, really. So people are people are scared and understandably so. But like they're not the only ones who are scared. I'm scared too, right? <laughs> like I'm, I just seen you you see this on TV coming home from school, seeing you know the planes and everything. So it's terrifying. Well, so I'm scared too. But people are scared of me. And. And it's not like people aren't scared of me because I'm black. People are scared of me because they know that I'm a Muslim. I don't know how the information got out there, but I remember finding out a few months after we moved to the school, there was a girl. And this is this is a theme that's going to come up later uh, when I talk about just being black in, in the same school. But there was this girl that came up to me and she was saying that she was like, I don't even remember who it was, uh, but she was saying that she's glad that we were friends or she's glad that she knows me. But she was saying how she was scared before I moved in. She's like, well, before I moved, she said, before you got here, we heard that there was going to be a Muslim moving to the school and I was scared. And this is whatever complexity coming from a seven, you know, a, a, right. a 12 year old, but like yeah. whatever, whatever the details were. But I was curious as to how they even knew that I was a Muslim. Was it my name? 
was it yeah, at some point oh, you when know my that mom went to the school? Way, yeah, it did. So, like, what, what were there meetings about this? <laughs> so, I have no idea. I've never asked my parents about this, but how they seem to have known that before we arrived. But she was saying that, you know, and it to me, it wasn't, it was, I guess, a bit of a compliment in some sense, but not really. Like, it's, it's this weird dynamic of, well, I'm not, I'm not what you see on TV. Like, I'm just a dude. I'm just a kid. Like, I'm hard. I'm just a kid. Just, you know, like you. That's how I feel. Now, fast forward to actually just a year later. This is one of like my most like vivid memories that I remember, um, especially with regards to racism. I was in eighth grade and I was coming back from lunch and there was this kid. I wasn't even great friends with him. We were more of acquaintances. He was in my like homeroom class. And we're coming back from lunch and he's walking, he's walking next to me. And I, I don't know, like it seemed to have completely come out of the blue. He just like, do you think you're black? And I'm like, wait, what? He's like, cause you're not, if you were black, you would act more like this other kid. And this other kid was a bit of a troublemaker. He was a bit, you know, with the way he spoke, oh, yeah. you know, he, he emulated what a lot of these people would see in, let's say like rap music videos or movies or TV shows when it came to black men from the hood. That's what they saw, and that's how they expected black people should be acting. That that really hurt. I remember going home and, and just crying after school and talking to my mom about it and getting frustrated with my mom's response because I felt like my mom didn't my mom didn't understand why I was upset or where I was coming from. You know, so it's like, oh, that's just a stupid kid type of deal. But like that, I remember that extremely well. That that how how angry I was. I like I've never wanted to fight someone at school before. <laughs> I've never wanted to like get in a fight. I've never been to fight. I never wanted to get in a fight with somebody before, except for like that moment. I wanted to punch that kid in the face, and yeah. I, and I guess the only reason I didn't is because I I was probably terrified of what my what my dad would do to me uh, for you know. Oh, uh, your dad would be suspended or expelled or something like that. That 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 what that comment hurt so much. And throughout high school, again, being one of very few black kids, and, and there were very oftentimes, I, I think leading up until, I think leading up to ninth grade. So this is the same school district where I was the only black kid in the in my entire grade. I was oftentimes told by other people like, oh, you know, Rez is black on the outside, but white on the inside, or he's an Oreo. And people would say that, but they would say it with, as if it was a compliment because- yep. I was acting the way they acted. I was I wasn't yep. speaking or I was getting good grades. I, I cared about I cared about school a lot. I didn't want to get it, it, anything short of an A was a failure to me. So if so the fact that I was getting good grades, the fact that I was shy and didn't talk to a lot of people, the fact that I the, I speak the way that I speak, people were like, "Oh, he's not black." They they would see that they I wouldn't fit the stereotype that they had in their head of what a black person was. So it and to you know again the, again these these are like thirteen year olds but um, this is again my experience so my experience is as a thirteen year old like they don't they don't they're not seeing me as oh he breaks the mold maybe I'm not maybe my my perception of what a black person is is built on a stereotype and not all people are like that but rather he doesn't fit that mold and so he's just not black that's what they would think that's what they would see there were there were too many times like this as a kid where you just you don't you don't feel like you fit in you know you're very aware of your of, of your your outside appearance you feel like you're friends with these people you think that you know you talk with them all the time and you feel like you're friends with them but it's always in your mind i don't look like them on the outside like my skin color is not what their skin color looks like people probably see me walking into a store and assume something about me and it's not until they speak to me or hear me or get to know me after a certain period of time that 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 perception changes. But it doesn't change the mold of what they have of what this this race should be. It just says, oh, Reza doesn't fit that mold because Reza is not black. He's he's actually white. Like the, these things really hurt as a kid. Yeah. Um, and. I don't think people really have to think about this. You know, it, 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 I think, I, I mean, again, it's hard for me to speak as, for, for white people because I'm not white, like on the outside, I guess. Um, but like, I know we talked about this too. Like, have you, have you ever been on a, on a car trip? You've been to like a random city. You've been driving through the night and you have to stop for gas and you're in some random country town somewhere 
and you pull it, you pull up to the fuel tank and you get out your car and there's other cars around. You're like, I don't know how people are going to perceive me in this town. I'm going to get out my car. I just got to get in and get out. I got to get the gas and get out of here because I have no idea if, if people like me, if people who look like me are accepted in these parts. Like that's a real fear that I have when I was just coming, going to Florida and coming back from Florida. Every time we stopped for gas, anytime we stopped anywhere, if we needed to use the bathroom or something, you get out the car and you're like, okay, am I safe here? And it's a different type of fear now too, having a kid, having a wife. It's like, sure. are, 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 and not just, am I safe, but is my family going to be safe here too? And the relief that you have when you see another black person there, like, okay, I'm not here alone. Or the relief that you have when you see a, a black employee, it's like, okay, it's not even just a, it's not just an outsider who's also here of the same race, but it's also somebody who works here. Like they're accepted to the degree that they're allowed to have a job at this location and they clearly feel safe working here. These are things that I don't think other people really have to think about, at least in this country. I mean, maybe if you left the country, you'd feel a different type of way, but. Right. I certainly have been in those positions. Um, I'm going to address your points in reverse chronological order. Go for it. Um, so I have a very similar story where. My, we had just gotten off a cruise in Florida, and we were driving back home. My dad was like, we're going to do this in one night. So we we were getting gas somewhere in Georgia, and it wasn't, a, it wasn't Atlanta. Definitely a small town. But it was getting dark. It was uh, it wasn't getting too dark, but it was like, it's dinner time. You know what I mean? So my parents were like, let's probably let's, let's find an open restaurant somewhere. Hopefully there is a fast food chain uh, and we'll get gas. Great. We find a gas station. We didn't find any uh, fast food like franchises, but we found a local diner looking place. So we're like, all right, maybe they'll do takeout or something. So... My dad is looking to pump gas, and then I go with my sister, my mom, to the diner. And it's a sleepy town, but we walk in, and the entire place, I remember, comes to a stop. It's a busy place, a lot of tables full, everyone's eating, just people walking in the back. Everyone stops, and they look at us. And it's almost like the, like that record scratch happens, where... All of the, all of the volume in the place seemingly got sucked out, and everyone was looking at us. And then in that moment, I was like, "These are a lot of eyes looking at us, unsure of why we're here." And nobody here looks like us, so why don't? And then very quickly, the the gears start going. You're like, "We should probably just get out of here." So my mom sort of grabbed us and like just like put through us back in the car. My dad goes, "You didn't get anything to eat." And my mom goes, now we're not eating here. And then so we we sort of sped on into Atlanta, and then we got some food there. Um, but Jeez. it's just one of those things. And uh, my I know that my mom and my sister, certainly myself as well, we've all been we've all been the targets of casual racism, overt racism, and there's all it's interesting because, and I'm going to tie it back to what you were saying about being told that you're not black enough now that phrase is insidious for a couple of reasons and you let me know how how i am on that because i feel like when anyone tells you you're not x enough it it's it's insidious based on who tells you you're not x enough right is it someone from your own race telling you you're not your own race enough and the uh the long-standing held, the long-held beliefs on what that actually means, like the the programming that your own race sort of puts you under, because we're all under programming, and I think we need to better understand that. And I think that's something that we're starting to call out more this time around, with knowing that there is implicit bias in everything. But is it somebody from another race telling you that you're not your race? And then what leg do they have to stand on to make that kind of uh, decision? Because you could argue, I mean, you could get into like a really dark game of 
telling them that they're not X enough, but it's A, unnecessary, B, unhelpful, and C, perpetuating an action that we're trying to end. And I've certainly been told that before. I've certainly been told that you're you're Asian, so you must be like this, or you're Asian, so you can't be like that. And it's it's really death by a thousand cuts. You know? It's yeah. it's a uh, it's the casual the casualness of it that that really gets you because when it's that casual people don't people think it's okay. And then when you call people out on it, people get super defensive. Yeah, they do. Because it's like, well, I'm not a racist. I voted for Obama. Or I'm not a racist. I love Chinese food. Um, and it's it's understanding a couple of things there. That you don't need to have a secret clan outfit to be racist. It's like, if it were that easy, we could solve a lot more problems. But those those battles have been fought by people stronger than us. And now we realize that it's the the racism has involved has evolved. And have you? I'm sure you guys have, but Carol and I uh, watched Thirteenth by Ava DuVernay, Thirteenth. Yeah. yeah. And what I talk about, and I want to spend some time here uh, to really focus on this idea, is the narrative through line of of where we've come from and where we are and why we're here. Now, spoiler alert, you should watch this movie. Anyone who's anyone nowadays, especially if you live in America, go to Netflix, because I know you have it. It's on YouTube, actually, for free. Is it on YouTube for free? Yep. Thank God yep. it's on YouTube April for free. April so 17th, to- they upload it on Netflix. Netflix's Fantastic. YouTube account. So go to YouTube. Go to Netflix. Type in 13th. And give yourself 90 minutes to get educated. Um, I know I said not to do anything, but I think it's important to know. Strong recommendation. uh, Five stars. uh, To know where you live and why it is the way that it is. And And I think that is important because we're all adults here, right? I mean, you have a you have a wife and child. At a certain point, you have to be the adult that you are. And I know that we all, you know, there's always like these jokes like, you know, I never really know when I'm an adult. You just yeah. get more comfortable doing things you don't want to do, like go to work and pay bills. But you do have a responsibility to the people around you to be the best citizen you can be. And it's, it's hard to be a citizen of a country if you don't understand how the system works and how it's built and who built it and why it's built that way. So 13 does a really good job of doing that. And so the narrative through line brings us to this idea of like the, the it's the casualness of racism that is really the most insidious because people think that well if I don't have a clan outfit then you can't call me a racist. It's like yeah no it's but it's the fact that you have been programmed that you have been brainwashed to think that what you're what you're saying to me is okay. I've had really uncomfortable conversations with friends about this stuff where it's they hard. tell me. Where they tell me, well, no, you can't tell me it's racist. I t- I, I'll tell you because I'm the one saying it, so I know the intent. And I wish it were that easy, but yeah, but I tried. I tried unsuccessfully to flip it on its head, and maybe I'll be smarter about this one day. Where I offered another scenario, I go. One of the one of the people in the conversation happened to be a woman. I go, you're a woman, so you understand that we've gone through and we're still going through the Me Too movement. Now, let's just say you're at work and you happen to be the victim of an unwanted sexual advance. Maybe somebody brushes up against you inappropriately. Somebody makes a joke at your expense or so it comes on to you in a way that you find to be sexual harassment. Now, you'll come out and say, hey, you just did X, Y, and Z. That is sexual harassment. But what if I came to you and said, nah, that wasn't that because that wasn't my intention. So you can't say that I did that to you. I feel like those are pretty, like there's a strong parallel to that. Just because your intent wasn't there doesn't mean that the execution of it renders my 
response like less meaningful that you're effectively silencing the way that i feel that's done usually from a position of power now in the me too movement it's usually men and you just have to take that on as an additional responsibility that okay for a long time you know uh as as a guy i haven't understood the privilege that i have and what it's like to be a man in this world because there's also the male female dynamic that will never understand what it's like to be a female but that doesn't mean that when they tell you hey you gotta look out for this to be like hey come on i'm a good i'm a good guy i don't have to do that and and so i see the same thing here with uh with being told things that are racist very casually but also then say well i'm not a racist so i can say that yeah I, uh, so, so you you have to attack it, at least force the uncomfortable conversation any place it happens. Because otherwise, I mean, the unfortunate growth, I think, that I'm having about it is you, you allow it. The silence is complicit if it's happening to you and you don't say anything. But there is a fear of personal safety also in that situation. Yeah. And so there's privilege to that, you know, the privilege for to be able to have that conversation. And there's a responsibility when you have that conversation to truly internalize things. Yeah. Let I'm me let me stay on the soapbox for two more minutes. All right. One of one of those things now that I really can't stand is the more I think about it is when people say I don't see race. Because. I think that the and, and maybe it's maybe it's this maybe it's your heart's in the right place, but the intention and ex, the, I'm sorry the execution of that phrase lends your lends it so that you are you come across incredibly tone deaf right now. You might be a, an ally. You might never treat people from communities of color really negatively, but if you are to say that you are colorblind, you don't see race, then I really question what world you're living in. Because if you say something like that, it's hard for me to empathize with your relative position and perspective on the world. Because everything that's happening has has nothing else to do but race. And so if you don't see race, does that mean that you are unable to truly see what is going on and why it's going on? I feel like you could you could say I don't see race before because we didn't know better. But now that we've grown as a society a little bit to understand what these things really mean, I feel like we have we owe we, we owe it to each other to be better. Yeah. Yeah. To say, I feel like I understand the intent of I don't see race, but the problem is that, just like you're saying, the the world it, it, the world has seen race for centuries, right? And there are races in different countries that have clearly benefited by the mistreatment of races by mm-hmm. of, of other races, and so to ignore the fact that just by being born as one of those races that was putting down the other race in today's day and age in the 20th century in the 21st century you already have an advantage in life or at least assuming that your parents are better off at least uh what average you know middle class the odds that you succeed in this country are just greater than than those of of the other races and I, th- I and like you were saying earlier, there there are just a lot of implicit biases that we have, and yeah. that's the thing that we need to be aware of. When somebody wants to call you out and educate you to explain why something that something that you said was hurtful, I know it hurts. It, it's hard to be to be told that you're wrong, especially when your intentions were you you did not have the intentions that the person or you didn't have the intentions to do what you actually did to the other person. Mm -hmm. But 
it's really important to listen up and and try to make that change because again when it comes to something like racism it 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 really does hurt and they're like when going back to the stories that i was saying when i was a kid i didn't call people out on this stuff i was too shy i was too nervous and too yep. scared to say something and i would just sit on it and i would go home and i would cry about it later and i'd go back to school the next day and act like nothing happened i was the only person there like i didn't have anybody to talk to i mean these are it's such a nuanced conversation right because you had to know you had to know so much more that actively the curriculum was it was not part of the curriculum right so you 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 couldn't have known the narrative through line of why the systems are in place to allow people who weren't there like you said it's not like we we're not here to blame all white people no we're not that we're not that dense you know but it's about it's about partnering with everyone to look forward for a solution. You know, it's not like we can sit here and be like, hey, I'm going to sit here and blame you for uh, for slavery. And so I'm going to get that, those 40 acres and a mule from you, right? Like that's that's coming out of your memo account. Um, it's not like that. We're, yeah. we're smarter than that. We're here to work with everybody to understand at least if we all have a shared understanding of the real sort of world that we live in and how certain systems persecute and oppress others at a much greater rate than we then we understand each other and then we can work from a shared understanding it's like working from the same data if you and i both agree that this is the data then we can move forward to to work off of that but if you see one set of uh, results from the data and i see something completely different from the same results it's like unfortunately at this point with everything that we know you have to question the rigor of people coming to a different conclusion you really do you really i i feel like we're, we're getting to a point now where if you taking in all of the data that we see right so you can see you can take data from from a from a very literal sense you can say i've seen the videos okay you've seen the videos of black americans getting killed at just an unfathomable rate and consistency so you can take that data or you can take the data of all of the peaceful protests that are coming out or you can take the data from you know why is it that all of these demonstrations uh against police brutality is met with police brutality and all of the videos that are coming out after that you could take that data or you can take the data of like let's let's take a more cerebral approach and understand how the slave trade from africa and the uh, and the caribbean fueled this country built this country and then when we tried to tear it out we we realized that with the wording of a certain amendment we left a pretty big loophole that was taken advantage of immediately and has been taken advantage of to this day. It just, it looks different and it's continuing to evolve in front of us. So you can take all of this and if you come to a different conclusion, my point of view is, it's willful ignorance at this point. You are choosing to say, I benefit from the status quo and I like the status quo and you are entitled to your opinion. I mean, God bless you if you're, if you're like that, but if people want to scream, uh, it's a free country, I have the right to say whatever I want, sure. You also have the responsibility to feel the backlash of a community that's looking to change for good. Because you and I know that there are very few instances in this world where something can be definitively right that you can be on the right side of history this clearly with this amount of uh like absolute conviction and know that when your kids or your grandkids or your great-grandkids come up to you you can sort of look them in the eye and be like this was the decision that i made and i can and i can i can stand by that yeah you know i was joking that at a certain point if you if you take all this information and and you still like to say all lives matter then you're bordering on an anti-vaxxer movement. Mm. Because the, I see the same 
uh, either callous treatment, purposeful mistreatment, ignorance of the data in the same way. Now, with All Lives Matter, you can have a much more nuanced conversation with people to understand like how they're holding their beliefs. I just, I mean, I'm never going to give an anti-vaxxer the time of day. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, I mean, with, with regards to All Lives Matter, yes, all lives do matter. Uh, there's a, I don't remember if I read it on the podcast. I don't think I did, but there was this, there's this post on Reddit that I, that I think I shared with you at the very least, um, on this, on the subject where it's like, uh-huh. it was like someone was giving an analogy as, and I don't want to, I'm going to, I'm going to end up butchering it. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to state it right now, but like the point is yes, all lives matter. But the problem is that it, it, it feels like, and I, I would argue that it just is the case that it doesn't appear that that black lives matter to the same degree that all lives matter by the police in this country. And I, and that's to me, the point of this movement, we want to value these people's lives, you know, whether, whether or not somebody did like committed a, like a crime, if it, if it was like a drug crime, if it's whatever there, it seems like far too often, not even seems like the stats, the stats show it that, that black men, will be killed by the police more often by, by will be killed by the police more often than a white person committing the same crime. And it's frustrating when, especially in the case where there was a crime being committed, where people just brush it off and say, Oh, well, you know, they were, they shouldn't have been, they shouldn't have been doing something illegal. Like, yeah, if they're out there murdering people, then yeah, I, I understand. Right. If they're shooting the police, I had to I understand, but Things like Eric Garner, where, where whether they were doing something illegal beforehand seems to be a bit unclear, and it didn't seem like the escalation from whatever conversation they were having he was having with the police to him being choked out and killed, it, it doesn't seem like that should have ever happened. That's the way I see it. Um, I think, and, and it would be, it would be, uh, I, I'm, I don't know. I know these topics aren't easy, right? These conversations aren't easy. Right. Like, what do you, there, there's no easy fix, but that's kind of the point. And this is like something a lot more lighthearted. But when it comes to the conversation of whether college athletes should be paid, one of the, one of the reasons why people say they shouldn't be paid is, oh, it's too difficult to figure it out. What do you do about those, you know, sports X, Y, and Z that are not football or basketball that aren't bringing as much money? It's too difficult to figure out. So we don't figure it out. That to me, I think that's just a cop out. That's not fair. So if this is too difficult of an issue to figure out, well, too bad. <laughs> like it's it's right. too especially with this. This is too serious of an issue to just ignore and continue going on as we have been. Yeah. Well, it's it's also this idea of like sometimes when things are uncomfortable, you know, we 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 actively lead lives where we do everything that we can to uh to to shelter ourselves from discomfort, right? Uh, and anytime something that makes us uncomfortable, then we're like, oh, like, why, why am I in this position? I don't want to be in this position. But this is one of those situations where it might be good to just lean into it a little bit and be like, all right, why am I feeling this way? And to really question the programming that we all come with because we are all susceptible to education and the curriculum that is being presented to us. Because we all... We all grew up in America, and so our education, like curriculum, was decided by the state. And I use state as like the larger overall state. I mean, granted, you could have. Um, I'm not talking like state by state. But I'm talking about like the government. State. Yeah, yeah, I follow. Right, and and a lot of things have been omitted. And you can't, it's like tough because you can't fault everyone who's gone through the education system and not learn all the things that are inherent to the black experience. But that doesn't mean you can't learn it now. And so no one is holding you accountable for saying, hey, listen, I'm going to come over here and blame you for not teaching me about this. It's not, it's not that. We're, we're not here to further create divide. What we're trying to do is say, listen, you didn't learn it in school. It's fine. It's very hard for most students to be like, hey, well, why didn't you go out and look for it on your own? It's like, well, that's an un, that's not a re- like a reasonable expectation on any child in America to be like, hey, 
and all that homework you did, why did you go and give yourself more homework? So we'll, we'll sidestep that one. But, you know, we're in a time now where there's more access to information. And I think it's just worthy of, of just like just sitting back and, and just taking in some information. Like, oh, so people who created the curriculum had a very specific agenda in mind. And I am not only the product of that, I am the product of my community. I am mm-hmm. product of the, uh, what we'll call like the, what am, I, what am I thinking of? The the programming that my parents gave me, my great grand, you know, my grandparents gave me, my, my community gave me. And if everything is fueled in a particular way, at a certain point, yeah, you, if we learn more, we got, we got to call that out. And I think that's happening for the first time with many people here. To like really question what you know about the country you live in. Yep. Completely agree. Um, should we close it here? Um, I know we can keep going on. <laughs> we can. We can. I just wanted to bring up that right before we recorded, um, Karen and I went to a vigil. Uh, it was held by a non-denominational church on like 76th and Central Park West. Uh, It was basically to mourn all of uh, the victims of white supremacy. And it was very moving. Um, Very thankful that we were able to participate. Uh, They had us, we got there. And the first thing that we were all told to do, and this was actually a pretty large uh, group of people on the side, like literally in the middle of the street, and there were yeah. cops around us. Um, but there was like never any, uh, I don't want to like dramatize it by saying the police were there because the police are always there at things like this, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's not, that's not a dramatic detail. I just want to make sure that that is like a sort of, that tone and uh, expectation is set. But uh we were we uh we all laid on the ground for eight minutes and like 34 seconds and it was an incredible incredibly like emotional emotional experience yeah to to understand what that actually feels like in a much less horrific fashion but also just to understand like in that moment second by second how long eight minutes and 34 seconds or however long it is how long that actually is yeah and you know we listened to many great speakers and you know we sang we chanted and it was it was fantastic but um it was nice to do something in addition to everything else that we've been doing We've been having conversations about it. We've like watched 13. We've been watching a lot of great content, like to just to learn and listen. Right. You know, I think that's one of the things that, as someone who isn't black, I'll let you know that there is a pressure to. There is a, the, the pressure of like, you know, that if you're silent, you're complicit. And what is an acceptable response? And it seems like because everyone's on social media, and I think you and I are like on social media, but not yeah, right. active on social media. Yep. That if you're not posting, you're part of the problem. But that is a very weird way to, to virtue signal because I think that's one thing that I don't mean to get on a political soapbox, but like with liberals, it's like you we like to fight each other all the time about like you like what is a proposed solution? It has to be my proposed solution versus their proposed solution. Otherwise, like it invalidates we like we like to invalidate each other a lot. And I think right now what we're trying to do is lean into the solidarity of everything to say, listen, we need allies doing everything, whether that is having uncomfortable conversations with people, whether that is donating money, donating time, donating expertise, going into the street and marching. Like not everyone can be out after a curfew. Not everyone can live in a, in a major city and protest, but maybe you can vote. Maybe you can understand how to vote in more state and local elections because you understand that it's your local community that sets the tone for your relationship with the police and the state or you know it's like it's all these things and so it felt like a really nice way to 
continue to show our support in other ways. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Because, right. Because it can't be, I mean, sometimes it almost feels like, I'm not saying you've done this by any sense of the the imagination, but it's like, sometimes it feels like, do I have to prove that I got arrested after a curfew for you to believe that I'm an ally? It's like, I, you know, it's like, I understand that people have voices and you never know who you might motivate. You never know who you might force to just take a second and think about this issue that you might not have had to think about before. But I think it's really unhelpful if we start to virtue signal against each other to say, you need to do it the way I'm doing it. Otherwise, I don't recognize the way that you're doing it. And I'm just like not about that right now. Yep. Yep. Totally with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's hard to know what to, I mean, there, again, there's with these things, not just how difficult it is to find a solution for everything, but it's also difficult to know what's an appropriate response. I mean, one of the things is there's still the, the threat of COVID out there. And yeah, one of the concerns, I mean, we talked about it already with is, are we, are, are the states opening up too soon, too quickly? Is it going to result in another spike? And are we going to have to shut everything down again? And another concern that I've certainly been feeling is, all these people that are out there protesting that are in these really tight spaces, are they putting themselves at risk? And is it going to result in a spike? And I think, well, that'll, that'll remain to be seen in in a couple of weeks time, but yeah, it's great to see people are getting out there. Um, It's uh, again, impossible to say what is appropriate. What is the response that needs to happen for you to, to be, you know, okay, you're, you're, you're down with the cause. The fact that the fact that people are doing anything, is is awesome to see you know people are busy there are people who are still working you and i are still working from home can't really take the time to you know drive out to philly for example or or even if i could it's still a bit scary to drive out there to philly because i'm terrified of covid so um yeah yeah Yeah, exactly there's, there's just a variety of things so like don't feel i don't think people should feel um ashamed or even overly pressured into doing something or to going out onto the streets, but the fact that people are talking about it, that we are, that we are, that we're open to having this discussion yeah. is, is, is great. And, and I applaud those people who are out there continuously protesting to keep the conversation going. Yeah. One um, thing, one thing I'd like to close on, uh, if it's all right with you, yep. is this idea of like, what is, um, what is a benefit of all of these uh, protests? Uh, and I think one of the more important benefits, alongside proposed legislation, I know that the House and Senate Democrats on Monday are going to be proposing sweeping legislation that will obviously come under fire. Uh, but the idea is that they are going, it's like a policing justice bill where you're going to they're going to try and end qualified immunity they're going to try and defund the police in certain situations they're going to try and make it so that you can uh you can sue police in civil court as well um there's like all of these things that like we've talked about as a nation and they're trying to push true legislation we still have the president that we have we still have the senate that we have so it's important to like couch your expectation. Although the, the political needle on this is pretty, pretty clear that more and more people are understanding of like how terrible police response has been. And that the lack of accountability makes it tough to see change if that's still there. So all all of that's, all of that's an aside. What I will say is this, when Black Lives Matter first came on the screen, it was uh, on the scene. It was a very radical idea. Unfortunately, uh, I think the message of Black Lives Matter got co-opted very quickly. It was out of their control, but it got co-opted as with the White Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, and so right, yeah. it's not it's not uncommon to see the Blue Lives Matter flag uh, around the nation. It's it's just simply it is what it is. Uh, you tend to see it with the Confederate flag, you know, uh, stars and bars, but uh, that is what it is. What in a very short time, and especially with this generation uh, after us, but what we've seen now is that all of these protests 
and COVID have forced us to really normalize that radical idea so that more and more people that aren't politically active, that aren't socially active, that don't read the news, that don't care about what's going on, don't know what's going on, more and more people from more and more diverse backgrounds who have had the who just haven't had to come into contact with the issue before are now coming into contact with the issue. Yeah. Which forces them to just think about it for a second and by doing so have an opinion. And because of the brutality of this issue, it, this isn't like, hey, do you believe in trickle-down economics? Yes or no? Um, it, because of the brutality of the issue, what once was considered a very radical idea gets normalized and i think that's the power because that way it enters the it enters into a larger public conversation where change can happen unfortunately in in this country i mean the government for, for better or worse this government is set up where change takes time this way we don't fall to the whims of the populace because we can see in three and a half years how quickly the tides can where the winds can shift, and you don't want certain things to just get voted in very quickly. Right. But in the history of this country, protests have brought about literally every major reform that has benefited us, whether that is after the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, we're like, all right, we need better labor conditions, or we need to end child labor, or we need to give women the right to vote, or we need to have seatbelts in this nation, or we need to get out of Vietnam, or, you know, like all of these things came about because of protests where you forced your, and Barack Obama said this in his virtual town hall, which I also uh, strongly recommend if you are looking for direction at a time like this, if you want to help but don't know how, he provides a fantastic and tangible way to really uh, put your efforts to good use. And, and so he says that it is our obligation and our duty to make leadership uncomfortable because that is when change occurs. And he goes, remember, it's not either this or that. It's not either protest or vote or either protest or donate. It's both and because they're both different voices that are part of the civic conversation that helps push progress forward. So I don't want to get too like high level about this, but it's uh, I think one of those things when people are like, oh, like what do they think they're trying to solve? Like, we've already started to see massive progress already just because more and more people are talking about it than ever before. And so we're hoping to ride this wave all the way into real change. Yep. Maybe we'll, maybe one day we'll we'll talk a little bit more. Maybe it's next week. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about like what this means personally. Yeah. You know, we, we don't have to do it today, but you know, it's it, one of the things that I think helps bring it home for people is when you share your your personal experience and and really feel like, oh, I never knew that about you. That can't be easy. I don't know what it's like to have to to live every day with with that you know there's i think that could be an uh, an interesting follow-up to this yeah 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 i like that yeah um all right well yeah sounds good i try to get a little more organized i know that i was doing a little bit of rambling early on but no it's it's fine there's a it's a it's a very it's a very emotional conversation a very emotional subject that especially with regards to like my past and thinking about that you know as a kid these are like things i haven't really thought about like I haven't thought about like this in a, in a, in a while. And so it's, um, it's good to reflect. It's a bit uh, therapeutic as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'll say this. Uh, I certainly appreciate uh, you sharing as much as you have had share as much as you've shared with us. I know uh, it takes a lot of courage to, to present trauma uh, to other people. And we, I, I certainly appreciate it. So I want to call that out first and foremost. The other thing is, uh, you know, for a long time, you know, because you were saying, and, and I don't want to get too, too off the path, 
too down the rabbit hole with this, but I remember you saying uh, when you were a kid, you didn't know how to deal with it. And a lot of times, I don't know if you've done this, but I know this is something that I've certainly done, where you start to make fun of yourself and you start to lean into it because it makes other people uncomfortable. It makes more other people comfortable, which in turn makes you comfortable. And I was reading, I was watching uh, Nanette, which is a Hannah Gatsby uh, comedy special. And she said that for a long time as a comedian, she thought by presenting her trauma or by making like light of it, it was humility. But what she now understands is it's humiliation. And I thought that was a really powerful sentiment. And so, you know, now that we know more and that we're certainly removed from the traumas of our past, I think it's about time we stood up for ourselves and just call the spade a spade and, and to really just address that it is humiliation, but that you won't stand for it any longer because you are more knowledgeable now and you're certainly more courageous now. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. Well, we'll end it here. Cool. Uh, but yeah, look forward to discussing next week. Yep. All right. Well, I'm Reza. I'm Sandy. Thanks so much for listening. See you guys next week. Yeah.